to attention, we call our ears open, our hearts receptive, and our minds able to grasp what you are telling us today. So we honor you and love you because your word is holy. It is without blame. It will never return void. It will always work where it's sent and where it's believed. So we thank you, Lord, for your unfailing word today. In Jesus' name, amen. And praise God. Amen. So uh, today we're going to talk about God's love for the lost. Amen. God's love for the lost. I had started, wanted to do it yesterday, but I see there's just a lot of thinking here, a lot of thought that we need to uh, search out uh, that God wants to make us aware of. Um, it, we need to understand that all of these situations in the Bible are selected by God. They're archived because they speak to so many situations. They speak to so many different individuals. You know, sometimes you'll look through the word and you see something where somebody has committed a grave sin or, uh, you know, disappointed God or, or disobeyed God. I'll put it that way. God's never disappointed. He's full of you know, faith and, and, uh, hope and, and everything. All of that is wrapped up in God. But, you know, where people have, have not done what they were supposed to do, or fallen away, or given up, or, um, just strayed away from God. And, and sometimes we look at that in, in judgmental, you know, in a judgmental kind of way. And I think sometimes God puts these stories in here for us not to just let judgment be our final thought that comes away from these stories, but to get to understand how people get there. And to avoid that road ourselves. And uh, so it's it's just important. I think sometimes when we look at these stories, we'll, we'll identify to some degree with these individuals. And that's a good thing because we'll consider ourselves blessed and fortunate not to have gone down the road they went down. Or sometimes you've gone down that road and somehow God retrieved you and pulled you back and allowed you to get back in the will of God and not not take the flesh root, you know, as so many people do. And so in talking about uh, the story about what we refer to as the prodigal son, uh, we have to look at uh, this as being a normal family, uh, a, a sincere family, a godly family, it looks like, for the most part. It looks like this This is a family that has an order, it has a structure, it has a head, which is the father of the household, uh, and the father has property. He's a, he, he are, he's raising these sons as heirs, and he's, uh, um, uh, doing what he is supposed to do, it looks like in a godly fashion. He's kind of obeying the laws of God. It doesn't really say that he's a Hebrew, but there is evidence that he's a covenant keeping man. And so when we look at this story, it's a good, uh, indication of how God feels about each and every one of us. If you look at the father as uh, portraying God and the sons as being all of the children of God, the family of God, you can see how this story plays into our day-to-day activities as sons and daughters of God and as, as children of God. And so uh, it's, it's good to keep yourself enlightened and understand some of the forces that are at work to bring us uh um bring us failure and bring us um uh uh 
um, you know, a breach, being a, bring a breach in, in God's family. Uh, because that's, that's what happened here. There is a breach in his family. And when we pray our prayer for the prodigals, we should keep in mind that God wants to heal this breach. He does not want anybody to be left out. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to miss out on their divine destiny. It's kind of interesting that the parable above, the two parables above this one have to do with the return of lost things. And so there's a happily ever after in each parable because God, God is always the victor. He will always get what he desires. And so I know many times we pray that prodigal prayer. We think, oh boy, you know, these people have been gone for X number of years or something like that. But God wants us to believe with him for the return of those people to where God wants them to be. Or to return as much as as they are willing to yield to him, uh, knowing that people oftentimes don't want to repent, don't want to forgive, don't want to live for God. There's something going on in them uh, that that um, rejects the Father's love and rejects His position for them. So in in uh, uh, Luke chapter 15, we'll start in verse 11. And Jesus continued. So he is giving them many illustrations of how the father feels about loss. One lost sheep. Uh, <clears throat> he talks about the rejoicing in heaven for one soul that repents. And, and then that's the introduction to this parable. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his living in wild, his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, There was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, or the King James says when he came to himself, He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. And I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went back to his father. Now, some of the things we need to point out in this story is that this son has an inheritance. He's not left out. He's not broke. He's not without something. Uh, he's expecting that his father will comply with his wishes. Because he knows, he's been raised to know that he has an inheritance in God. 
My feeling is this. People who backslide have no understanding of what this kid actually knew. You understand what I'm saying? You don't just walk off and leave an inheritance if you know you have it. Problem is, they never know they have it. See, I've found in, in talking to people and, and trying to understand what their situation is, many times people don't feel worthy of what God has in store for them. So they're constantly doubting that he has anything good for them because you don't walk off and leave an inheritance. You just don't do it. Nobody in their right mind does it. So he demands what's coming to him before he goes. And and my thinking is that many people who walk off from from God's family, from their churches, from the places that nurtured them and places that fed them, have no concept of inheritance. They either don't believe it once they've been told it, or it's not been uh, impressed into them that they can expect good from the hand of God, that they can uh, prosper under the hand of God. And when I say prosper, I'm not just talking about... See, many times a financial prosperity will never come because the soul never prospers. And so you have to really get a clear picture of, of who God is, says you are and who you are to him in his eyes before you can even employ the principles or the scriptures needed to get what you need from God. So here you have a young man who's been raised in the household that, and he knows that he has a portion in that estate. He knows that at some point the father will pass that on to both of the sons and that he has a portion of it. My thinking is he's not satisfied with that. And so many times you'll find these two things working in people. I I call them professional backsliders. Because they'll walk away from a church family. They'll walk away from uh, the family of God. They'll walk away from... Because many times people don't want relationship on anybody's terms but their own. See, I, I like church people, but if they do this or they do that or people will nitpick or they'll find fault or, you know, that kind of stuff, then it's easy for them to divorce and move on. Why? Because they see no immediate penalty from dis- for disconnecting. And that was this guy's problem. He's short-sighted and he sees no immediate penalty, amen, for taking his inheritance ahead of time. Or becoming so dissatisfied with his position and who he is that he'll disconnect from his God-given family and just break fellowship with them. You know, break rank, break, break off and, and disconnect. And so it's very, very important for us to understand, uh, the priorities in God's heart. And the importance of staying loyal to your church family, staying loyal to people that God has put in your life to speak into your life, to help you and guide you. Uh, you have to have a loyalty of heart 
and an obedience to that authority in order to prosper and in order to do well. And there's a breach here in this kid's heart. He knows he knows who his dad is. He knows his dad's got property. He knows he's going to get a part of it. But that's it. There's no connection in his heart. There's no connection in love. There's no, see many times people are afraid to give themselves over completely to anything. They always have to, you know, pull back a little bit, save a little bit for them because they're not sure that it's going to pay off for them. Well, once you get born again, the idea of the payoff is kind of non you know, you have to get it settled in your heart once and for all that whatever God requires you to do, he's going to bless you for it. No matter how big it seems to you, no matter how small it seems to somebody else, no matter the obedience factor, you have to be sold out on the idea that you serve a holy God. He will never shortchange you. It's going to be worth it for you to invest yourself 100%. It's going to be worth it for you not to draw back after you set your hand to the plow. Because if you do that, the Lord says his heart, his soul has no delight in you. You don't please God. That when, it's like this. If you, you think about a farmer. I know we've, none of us have never plowed anything. And some of us probably have seen some, but not all. But you think about the farmer needing to make sure that his crop is planted accurately. The planting is, is 100% of your harvest. It's gotta be planted properly. And what, what, Farmers like to do would be to get the most crop out of their planting. And so they would make sure that they planted in a straight row and they kept the oxen going forward. And as the oxen would, would dig a furrow in the ground, the farmer would plant. And, and, but if you look back and kept looking at what you did already, and your accomplishments, your going forward is going to be crooked. It's going to be all over the place. And you're not going to get the maximum. See, the straight row always gave you the maximum because you could count how many plants were down this row, space them between the next one, count the next one. But if you veered off, then your rows got crooked. And when, when you would go in to tend and water it, it was more cumbersome because it wasn't done in a methodical method, a, a method that was going to yield you the biggest result. And so that's why God says, once you, you set yourself to obey me, keep looking forward. I don't want you looking back because looking back is going to cause you to quit going forward. How many people have looked back and desired the old life again? How many people have looked back and and regretted making the decision to go forward? So looking back is always seen in God's eyes as a sign of fainting, of weakness, of double-mindedness. You got me? Lack of commitment. You know how to commit to going forward. You know, it's, it's, it's just that way. And it's true. 
uh, people who look back at uh, what they could have done or what they should have done or how they could have said we could all do that and we could all be miserable in in that but the going forward if you look at it okay so i've made some mistakes in the past i maybe have a few regrets you shouldn't but you got to work through that in god but but i still have a future I still have a present and I have a future. And that's what I need to focus on. I can't sit here and wish so and so hadn't happened to me. Wish I didn't, didn't have, uh, the misfortunes I've had. You know, any of that kind of stuff. I've got to go forward. Cause in the future, that's where my healing is. That's why my deliverance is. That's where my prosperity is. It's not in the place of looking back, but it's in the place of looking forward. So that's why Paul admonished himself. He says, forgetting what's behind. He said, every day I get up with the idea that I'm going to press because I'm, I'm, I'm really in a race running to attain something great. And if I can keep in mind I'm running to attain something great, then I won't be inclined to look back. I won't be inclined to regret. I will be inclined to continue to go forward. Because sometimes those, those past mistakes become weights and anchors in our future, in our present. And they'll get you to a standstill where you feel too encumbered or too tired to go forward. And so that's why Paul says to lay aside that nonsense, the sin that so easily besets us. He said, he said, hey, this happens to everybody. And it's an easy thing to get yourself entangled in your soul and entangled in your past again. So he says, you gotta lay that aside. And you can. Just, just take it off and put it aside. Just like a, a runner would, would get, get, you know how when they warm up, they have a longer pants on. And so when they're ready to race, they remove those and get into the shorter, you know, outfit. You notice they don't have sleeves in their running shirts. They're, they're pared down as much as possible because those things can get to be weights and anchors on them. And so when we think about uh, this life that we're living in God, it's very very important to have a hope for the future, have a vision for the future and not try to make your own future by taking the gifts, talents and abilities that God has given you and going elsewhere with them. He gives you those things for the place that he's prepared because he's invested in your prosperity. Amen. I remember somebody that that stayed in this ministry. They were unemployed for a number of years and didn't work. And then all of a sudden God started blessing them. They came out of the unemployment, uh, had a good job and left and went to another church. And soon passed away because that church did not teach on divine healing, never had an altar call, never anything. And see, people feel totally justified. Well, I, 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 you know, and I, I heard somebody said, well, they said they left and, and, and they didn't owe us anything. I said, I didn't say they owed me anything, but you owe God respect for what he's called you to do. See, people get it twisted. Don't get it messed up in thinking that you're here because of me. You're here because God called you here. And until he calls you to do something else, you stay. Nothing could be simpler than that. And I felt really, really badly because they were good people, basically good people. But, you know, people get it turned around. They always think they're missing something. They think something's better someplace else. And you're the one who makes it better where you are. If you can't make it better... 
for yourself where you are and for other people, then you've got some lessons to learn about where God places you. Amen. He places us in places to do a work for him, for his honor and for his glory. Amen. Now, I'm not saying that person couldn't have gone to another church and gotten healed. That's not where I'm coming from. But I think it's much better if you can stay where God puts you and don't move until he moves you. And if you move and you find disaster, even if it takes many years, you know, that's a deception of the devil. God will be speaking to people uh, to go back where you came from. I tell you to come over here and try to get fed. You'll starve to death over here. You understand what I'm saying? This happens to people in churches all the time. That's why they get somewhere and they pick up a substitute for the real thing. You know, they pick up fake food. And say they're doing well, you know, or say they're, you know, I'm where God was. Oh, God's using us and he's doing this and he's doing that. And pretty soon they're, they're in a place where they can't get an answer, you know, or they can't get better. And so you, you have to be careful about that, folks. You can get talked out of, uh, obeying God after many many years of serving God look at all the preachers that mess up you know and they've been in ministry for so long you think they'd know better but but uh, look at David when he sinned against God he had David was like in his 50s uh, you know he had been a king for at least 15 or 20 years by then you think he'd be used to being king but everybody can get the devil get under anybody's skin and cause them to make a wrong move and so this business of not being satisfied with what God's given you this this restlessness now it's it's good to be like Paul said I I know how to be full and be hungry at the same time he said I know how to be abased and I know how to abound and what that means is I know how to be satisfied with what God's done in me and where he's got me, but also to look to better things, to look for greater things. So you keep the vision in your heart for the increase that God's promised you, but you also don't let the fact that you you lack some things drive your life you you don't get let that lack get behind the wheel and start driving you and making you discontent and making you upset and this young man did not know how to fight the devil off of his mind and making him discontent with things because you see his discontentment won over his discontentment won the battle his discontentment got the better of him so that's why I tell people, I said, make your, make your, your, uh, repentance daily. Make your, uh, accounting with God a fact of life on an everyday basis. Make it a habit, a morning habit, a night habit to go before the throne and, and, and put yourself before God for examination. God, how did I do today? I thought I had a pretty good day or God how did I do today I don't know if my day was so great you know <laughs> it was a, I, I stepped into it again you know what I'm saying sometimes we have days like that and so we have to uh, continually trust God for that cleansing of the heart and understanding how to keep your heart pure before him so that the devil doesn't ensnare you and get you to 
turned away from the things of God, especially in your heart. Offenses will mount up, mount up, mount up, and mount up if they're not taken care of. If we don't uh, forgive our brother 70 times 7 in one day, is what Jesus said to Peter, <laughs> to the disciples. And so uh, you, you have to understand that offenses are a part of life. They're very common. It's not an extraordinary thing that somebody upsets you. But you can make it your whole day, you can make it your whole week, you can make it your whole life. And so it's up to us to get these things taken care of immediately when they happen. I was thinking about, I always tell this story when I talk about forgiveness, but I, I remember seeing a special on about Bill Withers, who is a singer. He's very popular in the 80s, I think maybe 70s and 80s, uh, but um, um, he made some very unique songs, and he was a songwriter, had a beautiful voice, uh, but he says he grew up stuttering. And it wasn't until he he got a deliverance and he never says he prayed. He doesn't say he was a Christian, doesn't say anything like that. But his ideas that came to him regarding this are are very scriptural ideas. And he was asked to uh, speak at an organization that helps people who have a stuttering problem. And he said that he, when he gave his speech, they, they gave him an award that year. And when he gave his speech, he said to them, he said, unless you can develop in your heart resident forgiveness for anybody who offends you because of your stuttering, he said, you won't get over this. And he said what keeps, what kept him bound was his anger and his resentment and his fear of being made fun of because of the way he spoke. And he said one day it just dawned on him. He said, I'll forgive those people before they even offend me. I'll forgive them before the offense comes. And isn't that what God tells us to do? We're, we're not to sit and think about how, whether or not they're right and we're wrong. That's, you're going down the, way down the wrong road when you go that road. I'm gonna tell you it's a dead end. You'll never get it resolved. Why? Because sin is not an issue to God anymore. Now people, religious people get very upset when they hear stuff like that. If it were a sin, if it were an issue to God, Jesus would not have died on the cross for all sin. So it's not an issue. It's a moot point to argue about it. And it's a point that will get you in trouble if you continue to blame and you continue to point fingers and you continue to look for fault and you can, wear your sleeve, your show, you know, your feelings on your shoulder, on your sleeve and wait for somebody to, to say the thing and it ticks you off. I knew these people weren't no good and all this, you know, you know, come on now. It's just wrong. It's wrong for us and it's wrong for other people. It's wrong to hold grudges. It's wrong to uh, try and place blame. It's 100% wrong. It doesn't matter to God anymore. What matters to God is keeping his family together in peace and in love and in, in forbearance and long-suffering. If you don't need long-suffering, how are you going to deal with offenses? That's a fruit of the Spirit too. You'll never get love without long-suffering. You won't do it. You can't walk in some of the fruit of the Spirit and not walk in all of them. You're going to need them all. 
to make it through this life. So you're going to have to forbear. You're going to have to. And when it, when the Bible says long suffering, it means without complaining about it. Love suffers long in parentheses without complaining. Because love doesn't complain. You got me? And so we, we have to understand these things. We have to expect that God will, will help us to make these changes and to walk in these things. But this younger son has no concept of love. He has no concept of what's important. He's that, uh, immature that he thinks that he can run his own life. He can manage his life. You know, there are parents that, that raise their children. They struggle to raise them the best way they can. They keep them in church. They teach them the word as best they can at home. I think most parents could do better, myself. Uh, you know, you need to have a family time in the word. You need to have a family time teaching your children scriptures. You need to have them read scriptures often. And get them in their spirits and get them in their heart. Have them pray the prayers with you. So that's how you learn scripture is praying their prayers. We all cheated a little bit. But you know what I'm saying. There must be an effort put in to teach them the ways of the Lord and to help them to hide that word in their hearts. And so many times, you know, your, you, you, your kids get out of the house. They can't wait to get out of the house and never come back to church anymore. Or I'm busy, I'm working, they got me working. That You know, used to be nobody worked on Sunday, but now everybody does. So it's harder for people to set aside that time for God. And if they've been waiting all those years to get out from under your authority, you know, getting them to pray to be in church on Sunday is almost a lost cause. Amen. Because they're so happy to be free. And so many go down this same route of the prodigal. Somebody who in his heart never really locked into his true identity. Never really locked in. And what they do is they chase worldly people trying to impress them. And really they are supposed to be seeking out people in the world to tell them about Jesus. And see they never mention him once they get out of there. And so this is the whole issue with this family thing about uh, getting out from under the parents authority. And getting on your own and making sure you get your share of fun and all of the things that dad told you not to do. You're going to go out that's going to be the first thing you do. Is to go out there and, and get involved in something that you, you have no idea how it goes. No idea how it's going to turn out. Because something that is forbidden, you know the consequences in your mind, but in the action of it, in the actual way that it plays out, you don't have a clue. And see, many times children think parents tell them not to do things because they're just mean parents and they don't want them to, oh, it's not that bad and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, many of them wind up uh, being trafficked, you know, by pimps and, and worse people. Uh, you know, murdered, all kinds of things be, be from being out from under the protection 
of the Father's house. And so it's the same way in Christianity. When you, we, we come out from under the protection of the Father's house, we might have some years, months and years of, of no problems. And pretty soon, you know, you, you get the impression nothing bad's gonna happen because it hadn't happened to me yet. And so you begin to mock God. You know, that's what they're doing. I did what you told me not to do. And see, I'm still doing That's what they're doing. And so, and, and they don't see it as a, a mercy because God pities them because they don't know any better. So they don't even have a whole picture. They see God as mean, hateful, angry, won't give you nothing unless you live like this and like that and like that. And I don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. Same thing with God's people. When you represent God, you're going to get the same attitude from people. You know, if you don't put up with any foolishness and you don't allow uh, people to make you waver and make you move and make you stop doing what God wants you to do. You know, when you live like that, uh, people are not going to like it. A lot of people don't like discipline. We have live in a world where nobody's raised in discipline. You know, they even people who are successful, they are very disciplined people, but they won't let you see that side of them. You just get to see the fun side of them, but you don't see the price that they have to pay for these things. They may make a statement paying your dues and all this, but they don't go into any details because they don't want to turn people off. You know, it's much more fun to think about just, you know, the fun end of it and we're doing this and we're doing that. I, I It was kind of interesting to me. I was watching this. um it was when uh, uh, President Trump had that apprentice show before he was president. And a lot of people had those reality shows where it was a lot of apprentice type shows on. Um, and I saw one, uh, 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 P. Diddy had one where um, he was grooming these people to be, they were all dancers, they were all talented, no discipline. And the things that he did to um, give them discipline and give them perseverance uh, were very unique. Um, it was funny. Like he told there were two groups, and I think they were competing for the the spots that were available. And he told them both that he wanted some cheesecake, and they had to go to Brooklyn to get it. And I think they were in Manhattan, where the studios were. Somewhere they couldn't all the screaming and well, what does this have to do with us getting? I know, I know how to dance. I'll have to do. It. They were cussing and fussing and carrying on, but they were still getting on the subway trying to get to get the cheesecake, you know that kind of stuff. Or uh, he he was sharing with them about fitness and he said i know most of y'all know how to dance and all that but you know you got to be able to you can't be short-winded and he told a story about when he would you know perform and how tired he was and he said it dawned on him that i need a personal trainer to get in the gym so i can have more well it makes sense you know this is your business this is how you prepare yourself and then more screaming <laughs> whining and carry it on and and i think that's typical of discipline how discipline is seen uh, by people who need it desperately 
You know, I do somewhat of the same thing. Now, I learned real early in my walk with God that it was going to be a little tough. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's just that way. And, and so I was, because I felt the love of God to help me to do it, and I felt God was a righteous and just God and wasn't just making me do stuff. I would never think that about God. But it's amazing how many people do. Everything's unnecessary to them. Yeah, I don't take all of that. You know, just whining. And so it's, it's interesting how rules, regulations, structure, all of that effects the flesh man negatively, but the spirit man responds to it positively. So you, it's one way to tell when you're in the flesh and you're in the spirit is how you respond to God's word, the discipline of God's word, and what the word of God will compel you to have to do in order to please God. And, and it is amazing sometimes. So this, this younger son decides that he's gonna go and the father knows that he isn't capable of taking care of himself. And this is where maturity in the parent comes into play. Because the parent has to be mature enough to get an answer from God and get a peace in God that he knows he can live with. He knows, he knows he has an assurance in God that God's plan is not going to fail, that God has a plan for this and God saw this coming a long time ago. And so the Father's probably been afraid that this day would come, you know. Uh, many parents are. They don't want kids, number one, most parents kind of, they, they're a little few years behind when it comes. <laughs> you can tell because they'll say stuff like, boy, where'd that kid get that from? Now They always amaze me what they come up with. Well, they're a lot smarter than you think they are. All the time. And so they, your parents are always amazed with the kid, what answer they can come up with and how smart they are and how they can figure this out and figure that out. Well, it, it's going to be another shock to you when you find out they won't leave home yesterday, you know. And so I think God has to kind of bring the parents up to speed on how to respond in these situations. You must go to God. And when you leave the throne room, you've got to uh, be peaceful about the answer you get from him. And don't leave that throne room until you get peace about what he tells you. How is this kid going to turn out? How is this going to rectify itself? How are we going to come full circle so that this child can, can fulfill the vision that God has given you for them? All this has to be settled uh, in a family situation. The, the parent must hold on to faith. You can't discard your kid in anger because they're being disobedient. You just can't do it. You gotta be, have more maturity than that. You gotta have more God sense than that. And so it's very, very important that the parent have a vision for that child coming back. And, and, uh, in verse, um, 20, that's where you see it. It says, uh, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him returning. So that long way off, can be before he even leaves or when he leaves or at some point after he's left. But the father did what the son asked him to do 
it probably was hard for him because he saw all his wealth going down the drain. But as long as the father saw it as belonging to the son, then he's fine. And so what you need to do is make sure you understand what, like, your kid will want to take their furniture. You don't want them to move out because you know they're not going to be successful. They want to take their bed. They want to take the dresser. They want to, you know, and all this stuff. You bought it. <laughs> you know, they, I've just been using it because it's in my house. Leave my stuff here, you know. But you let them do it. Huh? You let them. Amen. Amen. You're going to have to do some things that rub you or that offend you to have to do. Because in, in many times parents don't want to do it because in, in, in reality they are supporting a bad decision. But your God is bigger than a few material things. See, you see what I'm saying? So you gotta see your God is bigger. Well God, if this is all it's gonna cost me, if, if this is all it's gonna cost me, a little furniture, then I'll get a furniture, <laughs> furniture up, you understand? And when they come back because they can't pay the rent and you didn't tell them to move, you know, what are you gonna have to have an answer for those things? So forth and so on. Many times they don't come to you in repentance. They come to you with attitudes still. And, and you still have to learn to obey God. You humble yourself and obey God. So it is challenging. It's the same way with pastoring. There are people that leave here. You know they shouldn't leave. They don't know what they're doing. They're blind as two bats. And get ready to step over into the mire. But you have to continue to have a door open for them to return. You see, that's why, you know, I started years ago, I started putting, um, uh, sending birthday cards. I remember birthdays of everybody all the time. When people leave, I don't take them off the list unless I get a, a message back where they, I don't have an address anymore or, or, you know, they make it known they don't want or they write on there, don't send me anymore, you know, that kind of stuff. I still continue to reach out to them because I know God would. You see, and uh, that's the pastor's job. That's not everybody in here's job. You understand? You're not the pastor. You're not the overseer. And and I wish I could get people to understand that because there are people that in their rebellion they want to hold on to relationships with people who have left. And there's nothing but strife there most of the time because if people wanted your company, they stay where you are. You see what I'm saying? Now you can pretend you're friends and all that kind of stuff, but you're really going down two different roads, to be honest with you. You're trying to be committed to a call of God as a watchman, and they don't see it. So how can two agree? How come two walk together except they be agreed? And so, you know, you're, you're not, you took on, you take on too much responsibility for yourself when you do that. And you can, can thwart the plan of God for that individual. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to be careful about those things. You know, sometimes people want to keep in touch with you just to pick your brain and find out uh, how many people are still here. You know, and did the church collapse yet? And so many times when people leave, they, they don't care that you prosper. They don't care that you still, uh, serve God. And see, that's a sin for them. You can't want failure for your brother and success for yourself and you serve the same God. And so, you know, in this family right here, the younger brother doesn't care 
if that household succeeds or not. He doesn't want anything else to do with his father or his brother or anybody there. He wants what he what's his and he's going a different route. If he respected the household, respected his father's wishes and respected what his father's doing, he would be there. And he would want to contribute. When you honor somebody and respect them, you want to be a part of what they're doing. You want to contribute. You want to honor what they're doing. When you get to the part where you don't want to honor it anymore, you are in trouble. And the best thing to do is get on your face before God and repent. And say, Father, I'm here uh, pretending to love everybody and trying to get along. And I really don't want them to do well. I don't want this place to prosper and succeed you got me and so you have to be careful folks to be a person of a pure heart among the the family of God you just have to be that way I see people on Facebook talking about church hurt and all this kind of stuff and and to me it is so elementary that when you go into a place you're supposed to fit in and you have to do it by learning how to forgive people. That's the first lesson God teaches everybody is how to instantly forgive and you admit right there you flunked the test. And you don't even understand the first thing about kingdom living. Yet you want to prophesy to people. You want to tell people what thus saith the Lord. And you know all this kind of stuff. And you're not really a part of God's kingdom. You're a part by obeying his commandments. You are a part by showing God your love through how you love his people. First commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, and your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said the second one is as important as the first one. And how do we know that? Well, the parable of, of the, 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 the altar, the gift in the altar. He said, if you have, if your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. And, and God says, I don't want you coming in my face if you have something against your brother. You got me? So he tells you once just as important. You can't say I love God and I don't like people. And it's people that say, no, 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 no. You don't love God. Something's wrong somewhere. Because we're made in God's image. How you going to love God and don't love somebody? It's like me telling people, I say, oh, I can't stand Juana's kids. I like her. Now she all right. But no, if I'm going to love her, I got to love her offspring too. You got me? And we have to be careful about things like that. We, we're quick to want to divide things up and, you know, I love this one. Well, who cares? If that's what you call love, I really don't want to have anything to do with it. You understand? Come back when you learn how to love people. And so love, love is no respecter of persons. Come on now. So we're all more re, re, uh, mature than that. We're all more responsible than that. We have to learn how to be a forgiving people because the enemy is constantly causing us to misunderstand things. And I tell people most things are not really offenses. They are misunderstandings. You got me? You don't understand how this person speaks. You don't understand what they mean when they say certain things. You don't know. You can't read their heart. So you got to forgive until you get to understand them. And if you never get to understand them, learn how to forgive so you can live peaceably between God and with man. And, And this is just so important. So important. What's important is God's will, not ours, but his.
And so he's there working and nobody's feeding him. Now it's interesting, they say a, a, a severe famine came in the land. Whoever he was working for was not a covenant person. Number one, it says he went to a far country because that's where he felt comfortable. He felt if he got far enough away from his father, the rules and regulations, the brother, the servants, all the things that he mocked, you know, uh, if he gets far enough away from that, then he'll be happy. So here's a, a somebody who doesn't know how to make their own happiness where they are. They think the happiness is elsewhere. And that is just so typical and common of the devil. Anytime you're on the outside looking in, you don't know the atmosphere that's on the inside. You're just looking at what you think are the activities. You know, people will will go to uh, uh, bars, happy hour, because it sounds like, ooh, I get tired after work and I need a pick-me-up. So you want to go in there happy hour and you get in there and somebody pesters you the whole time because they're too drunk to have manners and your happy hour turns very, very negative because you've been on the outside looking in and you don't know the atmosphere that's created around these kinds of activities. And what we need to understand is that God has an atmosphere that is conducive to our spiritual growth and nothing else will do. You must abide in that prescribed atmosphere because nothing else will do to cause you to prosper, to cause you to grow, to cause you not to miss out on things. You must understand that there is an atmosphere that is conducive for what God has for you, not for you to be happy and have a good time and, you know, all this kind of nonsense. And so this young man, uh, has, has grossly overestimated what his vision of himself was in leaving that house. He thought it was going to be one way and he finds out it's another way. And that's why I can I can pretty much say without equivocation most of the people that leave here don't go to church. Or they go sporadically. They go a little bit here, a little bit there. They don't get involved. And I think one of the problems they have with a school of ministry type atmosphere is it takes commitment and involvement and they want to do it on their own terms. And so when you see people want to make you a dependable person and you start recoiling from that, it's a time to get on your knees and time to say, God, I didn't know it was going to take all this just for me to go to church and, you know, whatever your idea of being a Christian was, you know, and and because there there have to be builders in the kingdom and and people who build um, are are busy building. They're not distracted by nonsense. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's like people say, well, I don't know how President Trump can take, do all this, take, taking all this crap. He's not taking anything. 
that stuff is bouncing off of his back because he is not even distracted. If he got distracted by detractors, he wouldn't have done what he's done with his life. My goodness, this man's a multi-billionaire. He's built, he'll take a property that looks like nothing. His specialty was buying up uh, uh, foreclosed golf courses. Now you talk about a big project. You, those things are acres and acres of property, dilapidated clubhouses and all of that. And he turns them into multi-million dollar. He took that old, uh now Washington, D.C., they say there's more wealth in that city. There are more billionaires in that city than any city in this nation. Or it used to be San Francisco. I think they're competing now. But there's a lot of wealth in D.C. Their train station, the old train station was a wreck. People poured money into it trying to fix it up, yada, yada, yada. And and Trump bid on it, got it, and turned it into a a fantastic hotel. Every time you look, somebody's taking pictures going through there. And so he knows how to stay focused until the job's done. And that's what God has put in his people. We know how to stay focused till the job's done, not, not get distracted by, oh, it's too tough and I need a break and I gotta have this and I, no, you really don't, you can't, but you, you can do all that, but don't lose your focus. Don't say you can't do the job because of distractions and because of all of these things that may come in. And try and divert your attention from the fact that God has a plan for you. Your plan will not work. So he gets into this place far away. The Bible says he went to a far country. And when he lost all his money, people took it away from him. So he wasn't in a covenant keeping. He was a non, he was in a non-believing atmosphere. He's surrounded with sinners because his daddy had always told him to stay away from them kind of people. And he thought, now's my chance to have some fun. And they took advantage of him because he was ill prepared to hold on to a decent life in the land of sinners. That's why God tells us to separate ourselves from people who are not believers. You know, I don't care how much you like them. They're not believers. They ain't right for you. They're not good people. And anybody who's gotten hooked up with a bunch of sinners knows they will rip you up one side and down the other. People always say, oh, people, people in the world are nicer than the Christians. Christians, uh, what do they say? Shoot their wounded. Listen, that's the biggest lie that's ever been. The, the best people I've ever met, I've met in God's, among God's people. You won't go, you've never, people in the world have never given me anything that wasn't a discard or a cast off. People in the church will buy you brand new things and give them to you. They will bless you with food. They will bless you with money. No, these are the best people in the world. We don't shoot our wounded. The wounded shoot themselves usually and then run off and badmouth the people who have sown into their lives. I don't get it. How is it that you can receive a prophecy for a man or woman of God and then after a while they're your enemy? You got me? Well, that's what happens. They can feed you, feed your family, pay your bills. And then one day, they, you know, you don't like them no more. They're the worst person in the world. Hmm? 
So who's the sinner there, I ask you? Who's the one <laughs> who's the one with the greatest trespass? You don't treat people like that when they when they bless you. You're blessed to be a blessing. You're not blessed to hold grudges against people and to talk about their shortcomings, all that, because you've got some of your own. You got me. Yours is being judgmental. And so we have to, we have to, to grow up and stop this nonsense. And this is what this younger son, his problem was he refused to grow up. He's probably used to begging and throwing tantrums and getting his way and he's still doing it. So the father lets him go expecting him to be back because the father see this is the thing about your your principles in christianity you got to be confident that when god put gives you a lifestyle to live your principles will hold up under scrutiny your principles in in obeying god's word will hold up and cause you to prosper and anybody who doesn't hold to those principles is going to fail you got to know that and you got to believe that so when your children fail you welcome them back home. You're still the same person. You don't compromise to keep them there. You keep your same routine, your same rules. You pray the same. You do the same. You don't deviate. Because what people who are disobedient are looking for is a loophole. So that they can slip away and not obey God and say, see, I told you them Christians wasn't nothing. You know, you you don't say that about God's people. They're blood bought. You're talking about the blood when you talk about us. So he was still a long way off. He said to himself, now he's there eating. I mean, he's there feeding, working, and nobody's paying him. And see, the reason he went to work was so that he could eat. Because that's a principle. And you can see that was in his head because he compares himself to his father's servants and he knows that in his household the principle is if you work you eat everybody works so that they can get paid and these people refuse to feed him so that's what flipped his mind back to the the place of home there's always going to be something that happens to rebellious people that will flip their minds around and remind them of home and what they're missing, not being where God positioned them to be. See what I'm saying? It's going to be something there that they recall about how pleasant life was, how good they had it. And so the Bible says it was at that point he came to himself. That's why we always pray and ask God, God, let them come to themselves. Let them come to the end of their devices. Let them come to the end of their plans. Let all their plans fail as long as they stay away from you. And let them come repent and come back to the Father's house. So he, and he understands the heart of his Father now as well. And this is something that, that people will take advantage of. They'll know that a church will never turn them away. And they'll come back when they get in trouble and stay for a minute until they get the heat off and then they run back out again. You see what I'm saying? And so, and the church has to be ready to stand and help people as long as God says to help them. You know, we don't turn anybody away. They come back, they'll come back, they come from one meeting here and there because they get scared out there. And they don't know how it's going to work out. And they don't want to just break ties. But they don't want to submit either. 
And see, God will let him do it for a season. I can tell when God's done with them because they don't show up anymore. You understand what I'm saying? So God will let them just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. He had better plans for them. He had better things for them. But they refuse to pay the price to take advantage of those things. And the price is really to serve. Serve God, serve humanity. They don't want to serve anymore. But then that's when he comes to himself and he decides he does want to serve. He says, I'm going to go back. He said, uh, when he came to his senses, 17, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. He says, I'll arise. I'll get up out of this pit that I'm in and go back to my father in repentance. That's when they get reinstated is when they repent. Some people will come just to see what's going on. You know, or visit just to feel you out and see if everybody, see who's still here. You got me? See if their plan to empty the place out is working. Yeah, they're vindictive people. You know, when you get evil in your heart, see, their problem is they don't live close enough to God to keep their hearts pure. So, and that's why that's so important to God. See, the condition of your heart is everything. So he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, really, for people to be reinstated into fellowship, this needs to happen. They need to go to the leader and apologize and give some kind of understanding. Now, I've seen churches where you had to uh, come before the whole congregation. Because you really rejected and caused a breach of fellowship with everybody there. And see, if that's never done, then there's a root growing there that could come back and snatch you away again. You see what I'm saying? So you've got to recognize your fault. You've got to recognize your your breach there. You've got to recognize where your problem is. Because for many people, it's an ongoing problem. There are people out there who never go to church. But you see them always trying to have a ministry. They're always trying to, and there's no power there because God's power works through an authority structure that is set up before the foundation of the earth. He's not going to change it for little old you. He's not going, you're not special. Now the love of God can make you feel special, but you're not exempt from his rules special. You understand what I'm saying? You got to fall in line. And there is so much to learn. About God. There's so much to learn about his kingdom. There's so much to learn uh, about uh, just loving people and helping them. And the ministry never lasts long. Why? Because the first person that tells them or argues with them like they've argued with people in authority. They're ready to quit. They get in tears and get angry. Want to leave. Want to quit. Shut the shut the doors down if they ever had doors open. If they don't get a certain number of people by a certain time they quit. You understand what I'm saying? They're just always looking at the wrong thing. 
And so we have to understand that there are some people out here who desperately need prayer so that they can repent and come back to the Father's house. And that when the son came to himself, he realized something. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. So this was a godly household. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But the father said to his servants, quick. Huh? God reinstates us quickly when we repent. People don't get reinstated. This is the problem. They don't recognize. They're constantly trying to make excuses for their wrongdoing. You got me? Well, you know, well, we moved so far away, it was just hard for me to get back. And then we see people that drive an hour to get here or more, you know, <laughs> come 60, 70 miles to get to service and are faithful. And, uh, okay, well, well, some people can do it. I just, well, okay, well, whatever. Hmm. How far you go to get to your job? Oh, you got two jobs now. Well, you really driving, huh? But he says, quick, let me reinstate him. See, the minute you repent, you get reinstated into your privileges. You don't have to, like, crawl before you would. People say, I've heard people say that. I walked away from God told me how you walked away, but you gotta crawl back. No, I don't agree with that. If God forgives, He forgives. And right here is a story of forgiveness and reinstatement. This is how God, it says, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you. When? When you confess. And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So there's nothing hanging between you and Him. Why can't you be blessed? Why can't you be reinstated? Now God reinstates you, but it's up to you to receive it. And see, this is where the problem is. Condemnation of the devil is the worst thing to have to live with. Where he constantly tells you, you're still not worthy. He constantly tells you, you did wrong. This, you know, your daddy's just being nice to you. He doesn't really forgive you. He doesn't really love you in his heart. You know what I'm saying? And he says, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. That's covenant. The ring on the finger means your authority as an heir. In other words, you messed the money up. I got more money. I got more money than you can get rid of. Huh? The ring on the finger is a sign of authority and power in the family. You get the signed papers in dad's name and stamp it with the seal with the ring on your finger. It's a signet. And it means power and authority and and liberty and license again. Sandals on his feet means his property's reinstated. Property was transferred by giving shoes. So there's no reason why those people can't prosper in God like they used to or like they didn't used to and gave up on it. Because that's usually but people fall out with God about money more than they do about love. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Celebration. The fatted calf is the one that's reserved 
It's, it's not a, a, an animal that's pulling a plow or, or laboring or something like that. It's kept in a stall and fed continually so that the meat grows very rich and tender and all it gets the marbling of the fat. They don't work it. Exercise would deplete the fat in the muscle of the, of the animal. And so they keep it fatted because that's the most tender, best, choicest animal. So the father is bringing the choicest animal. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. In other words, these boys come back to life. He's lived a life of sin, but he recognized his fault. He's confessed to me he was wrong. He's acknowledged his his responsibility for it. He's not blaming me or his brother anymore for his miserable life. He understands now. So this is this is a miracle, is what he's saying. And he says he was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the the older son was in the field. He came to the house, heard music and dancing. Called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. He said, "Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has come back safe and sound." The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. His father didn't get angry with him. He's not rebuking him because he's a bad older brother. Your, your little brother needs your pity. He's not doing, he don't know any better. He says he answered his father. He said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a kid in the King James or that's a goat. Which is the toughest meat. He said you ain't even giving me a tough goat to eat. Let alone the fatted calf. The best. Well would you feel better if I if I put the tough meat out for your brother? I mean what's going to. See people who are like this are never satisfied. So the older brother even though he's not the oldest in the family. Was the heir, primary heir. Everything was given into their hands to manage. And it was assumed because they were trained as managers. The younger son was not trained to manage. That's why he lost his money so fast. His wealth, the younger son's wealth would depend on staying connected to the older son. But see, for some people that's not good enough. Amen. It's like when God brings you into a ministry or into a church, you, you they may tell you, you know, well, we need somebody in hospitality or we need somebody to come and open the church up early and get the music started or something like this. And and you've got to stay where God places you and not covet to be in charge of things. When you have a part of a ministry, and everybody who's called here has a part, you have to play your part. You can't be upset. I remember somebody came here and, and they were learning some things and, and doing pretty well and and got upset. No, the husband came a little bit at a time. He's always angry, calls himself an elder in his church and all this kind of stuff. Always angry. And uh, he said, well, when do you give out certificates? And I said, well, God hasn't told us to, to do that. 
Well, I don't think you should have anybody in some kind of so-called school and you don't give out certificates. So, so I started giving out certificates. Uh, when we would complete a book, you got a certificate. And his wife never got one because he never brought her enough for her to complete anything. Certainly didn't. She came to weekly meetings. She didn't go to empowerment meetings. Amen. I did it for a season. Nobody was interested. When you're working for God, you never quit learning. But you couldn't prove that to him. He was so interested in man's credentials to consider himself worthy. He refused to see anything else. I told him. I said, your wife's anointed as an intercessor and a watchman. I said, you can't get higher than that. I said, if I could give her a piece of paper to make it any better, I said, I would. I said, but God has not told me to do that for anybody here. So what am I going to, I'm going to be like the rest of these nutty people around here giving out pieces of paper and, and people aren't doing anything with them. You know, I see all these doctors so and so. They've never written a book. They've never had any kind of signs and wonders in there. And that's what we're looking for. We, our God performs signs and wonders through His people. We're not just here talking with no results. I can't give you a certificate in signs and wonders. You gotta pay that price yourself. You know, and you talk to God about that. So the elder son is angry because he's looking at it. See, it depends on your vision. He's a sibling, not a father. Siblings are always going to look at it eyeball to eyeball. And the father looks at it from a position of authority down. So he sees both of these sons. He loves them both. He does not love the younger more than the older. But to siblings, it's always going to look like that. You'll never be able to convince them that some some kid isn't the favorite kid. You know, because what do we do? We sit and we compare ourselves with one another. And I'm telling you, that's the biggest killer of fellowship contentment in churches is the comparison of sheep one with another. Because they're always competing. Everybody wants the front row. Everybody wants to be told they're, they're fine and all this. You know, I want to, I had a situation where it's been worked out. Okay. So it's not a bad situation at all. But one of the younger, uh, persons in the ministry is, well, I think you like the other girls more than you like me because, uh, you talk to them more. I said, they work for me. I have to talk to them to tell them what to do. I said, you want to work for me? Well, I just said, I said, yes or no. I said, you're either volunteering or you're not. Well, I never got an answer, but it got worked out. After a while, they weren't so sensitive anymore. You got me? They weren't so crushed anymore. They weren't so, see, it's easy on the outside looking in to make comparisons. But when you get inside, you find out it ain't just about getting attention all the time. I got to do some work. This lady's going to expect me to do some stuff I don't want to do and I don't know how to do. And I don't want her telling me how to do nothing. I am not volunteering for training. <laughs> huh? Oh, no. 
You know, people like to do what they do and stay at the same level forever. You know what I'm saying? They just don't, you know, I got enough jobs around. Oh, I love what I'm doing, doing what I'm doing. And I love you too all of a sudden. I'm sure you do. Huh? So come over to my house for a couple nights and <laughs> see how that works for you. You understand? They're not willing to pay the price. But they're on the outside looking in. It looks like this lady showing somebody else some attention. She talks to she She compliments them. She encourages them. And she gives them stuff to do. And she corrects them when they do it wrong. Or they won't get it right. You understand what I'm saying? Nobody ever gets. You, you don't learn anything. You can't be corrected. You won't get it right ever. Huh? Now, I don't fire anybody, and maybe that's the problem. Is You know, a lot of churches, you get fired when you mess up one time, and they don't ask you anymore because they got a lot of people. God doesn't want you treated like that. You know, you, you, won't, you won't succeed in anything if you don't learn discipline and learn how to listen and perform. And so the elder son is angry and sarcastic, and that needs to be worked out. So that's why instead of the father going to him, rebuking him, he entreats him. Treats him like an elder. Amen. Treats him like a grown boy who's on daddy's level. Got me? So, and this is the payoff of faithfulness, of commitment, is that you have status, you have position, you have authority, and you have power. He's always had that. The father said, everything I have belongs to you. And the son was such a well-disciplined boy that he didn't waste the fatted calf on just casual things. He waited for the father's permission to even have a party. You see what I'm saying? So he has a lot of good things going for him, but he just can't reconcile his younger brother. He just can't do that. I don't know about that boy. And probably doesn't forgive him. But in time, he will have to. Because God has a plan for even the stray, the younger stray, the disobedient to come under submission, to come back to the father's house. This is why we pray for prodigals. Because we expect that they will come back. Amen. Comparison is just a part of daily life. You're going to always compare your situation because you live in the natural. But don't take it to heart. Don't always try and look at what somebody else has and look at and judge what you have. Just always be thankful. Always look up to heaven. Like when the younger son said, I'll arise and go. He started looking up to heaven and he quit looking at on his level and his surroundings. Amen. When your surroundings are bad enough, you'll look at heaven, won't you? We've all been there. And so just remember, you know, in God's house, you're going to have some siblings. You're going to have some some comparisons and stuff. But you have a place in God that nobody can take from you. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for understanding. Thank you for the good things that you've ordained for our lives. And we appreciate it so much, Lord. Father, we want to be committed vessels we don't want to stray around we don't want to lollygag we don't want to hang back we don't want to pretend we want to be faithful true 
pure in our hearts and doing things as unto the Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for giving us a ministry, giving us a part in ministry, giving us a place in your kingdom from which we can never be moved. And we thank you, Lord. We'll fight to hold on to it in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, come on.